Hello and welcome to You Have to Watch This Movie. Tony, what does that mean? That was me trying to say you have to watch this movie in the style of the white cat. In the style of the white cat. (laughs) Thank you, Tony. I'm Drew Mackey. Hello, I'm not a cat. I'm Tony Rodriguez. And this is the podcast where we talk to the people we love about the movies they love. The movies that have moved them to the point that they've told the people in their lives, hey, you have to watch this movie. Today, our guest is Dhruv Uday Singh, who is here to talk about the 1977 horror film, House. House. A.K.A. How Sue. How are you? I am good. Very fitting that you introduce yourself as a cat, because that's very much a central character in this movie. Maybe the most interesting character in the movie. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. The most well-developed. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, yeah. A (laughs) demonic, kind of shape-shifting house cat. Named Blanche. Yes, named Blanche. Yeah. That's right. Druv. Why Haosu? Haosu. We should say really quick, sometimes this this movie is technically called House, but a lot of times in... The West, we call it Haosu. I think mm-hmm. to differentiate it from the other house, which is the American horror movie, House. Is that a famous house? I, I don't think I've even watched it. It got that. a sequel, House 2, The Second Story. Oh, okay. Um, I actually have never seen that. Me neither. Yeah. There's a, so we'll call it both, but house, why yeah. this movie? Um, to me, it's one of the, the most unique films I've ever seen. I'm a real, I, I consider myself quite a film buff, and I've watched movies of, I think, every possible genre I can find from different countries and, you know, different decades and stripes. And this is probably the single most bizarre movie that is still good, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I've seen. There are more bizarre ones that are not successful, I think, in entertaining you. To me, this movie not only entertains, it actually is kind of scary at points mm-hmm. and it's um it's it's experimental in a way that feels deranged uh the story behind it is amazing i mean the the co-writer of it is the director's two and a half at the time two and a half year old daughter it's crazy ideas are all over in it it's just a strange it feels like a some someone made it on another planet we with human actors yeah yeah that's that is I mean. a great summation of this movie and i'd never <laughs> heard of it no, I guess I'd heard of it, but I dismissed it until you proposed talking about it on here. And I watched it for the first time, and it's... I have to agree with everything you said. Yeah. There's nothing else like it. I've never seen... I can't even compare it to anything else. I... Visually, I'd say, like, it's kind of like Suspiria if mm. it didn't take itself seriously at all. But that's still, like, the plot is so almost incomprehensible that... Yeah. Yeah. It's also like the... Um, it kind of in, inverts a lot of uh, things you think about horror movies, and that the gore is playful but still horrifying. There's still there is it's still young Japanese schoolgirls getting, you know, mauled and dismembered and all these other things. But there's like a playfulness in it that's so bizarre and unsettling while right. being entertaining. Also, the special effects. I mean, there's this weird, bizarre use of. All every stripe of special effect. There's these strange backdrops and scenes. There's mm-hmm. these weird matte painting things that happen. You know, a character's face disappears and is filled with flames at one point that are just two dimensional. I love that part. Yeah, it's That's it's so a strange and but I it, don't know. It looks hand done. It looks like mm-hmm. almost primitive sometimes, mm-hmm. and it doesn't detract from the effect of it. It's just a very a very so yeah. We we were just talking about how it's a very visual movie. We're gonna attempt to explain why it's good in words, <laughs> yeah. but like. You literally just have 
to watch you do this. and i will say too this is very much i i i can think of something that might be more polarizing i don't think this isn't for everyone there are people who probably will just hate will just hate every moment of it for you know understandable reasons mm-hmm. it's not like a I can't really think of like, oh, well, if you like this movie, you like this movie because there isn't a direct parallel to it. Do you like abstract paintings? You might like this movie. <laughs> I have another comparison to what this movie might be like, mm-hmm. but it's not to another movie. This was his, uh, let's, we should say this was directed by Nobuiko Obayashi. Uh, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. This was his first feature film. And before this, he was uh, doing commercials. Commercials mm-hmm. and experimental art films. There we go. Which totally makes sense looking at like, oh yeah, this is flashy and eye grabby like a commercial might yeah. be, but weird as fuck. For 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's like almost every scene feels like a set piece. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. produced. Uh, yeah. I would liken it to a 90 minute commercial with some thread, some thin plot element tying it together. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Cremaster cycle. Do you guys know that? No. Um, Matthew Barney made these like feature length art films that are all visual and there's a story, but the story's not why you'd watch it. You just kind of take it all in like like a painting. Hmm. Maybe that if those were fun. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Though what's interesting about this to me versus other even more abstract art films that, you know, the, um, I'm trying to, like a Warhol movie or something, is that this uses genre as its structural basis like we're still setting up there's a haunted house and there's a mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's something demonic has happened and there's bad things are going to happen one by one like a slasher movie would to each of these characters but within that structure that's just bananas but but the structure is to me what makes so, it so unique and sometimes literally bananas you said, yes yeah. Yeah, absolutely there's a lot of just a pile of bananas that figures into the end of the movie that <laughs> yep. you just kind of have to make your peace with before we go any further I'll just give the synopsis uh House slash Hasu is a horror movie, but also a comedy and also a surreal fantasy about a group of seven Japanese schoolgirls led by a beautiful girl named either Oshare or Gorgeous, depending on which set of subtitles you're reading, mm. uh, played by Kimiko Ikagami, who take a trip to the country home of her spinster aunt, Yoko Minamita. Fantasy, uh, or in some versions, Fanta, like the soda, played by Kumiko Oba. Fanta, Fanta, gotcha, Fanta. I mean, she would, there's a reason you can't name a child Fanta, because they would just be greeted by that constantly. (laughs) She's the fantasy prone one. She has romantic daydreams. Kung Fu, Miki Jinbo, is the martial artist. Prof, or Gari, in some versions, is the brainy one, played by Ai, played by Uh, Ai Matubara. Um, Mac, short for stomach, because she's always eating, is the fat one, played by Miko Sato. Melody is the one who plays the piano, played by Eriko Tanaka. And last of all, there's Sweet, the subservient one who dresses like a maid and enjoys cleaning as a character trait, played by Meow Miyako. This is the last time anyone, any of the three of us are going to attempt to say the uh, actors' names, right? I have... I'm fine with it because I have a video game music podcast, so I am used to multi-syllabic, multi-syllabic Japanese mm. names. I do you speak any Japanese? I do not. I mean, I I did study and practice karate when I was a kid, and there so I, all those terms I'm familiar with. But that's about it. Okay, all, you know. Right. But if we're not describing the way they kick or right. punch in a sequence of events, I'm out. Which would <laughs> okay. pertain to most of Kung Fu's scenes, but... <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, no, also, I will say the character names are so fun to say. They're such a strange cast list of gorgeous Kung Fu, Fantasy, Prof, Mac, Melody, Sweet, Mr. Togo, Daddy, Watermelon Man, yeah. Go Diego, Real Emma, and Auntie. I think it's interesting that some of the characters are 
named like Mac is named Mac even in the Japanese version. You hear them mm-hmm. addressing her as Mac, okay. and there's more English in this movie than you'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is fascinating. And um, we should also pl- maybe slip in there that the other the house is haunted. That's the other part of the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Everything goes bad once they get to the house. The aunt is sinister. How did you find this movie for the first time, Drew? Um, it's a good question. I don't really know exactly because I do. I think it just came from my. I watch so many kind of movies that you you know you start looking for obscure or not. This isn't obscure anymore because it, it, once it had its like re-release, right? But you start looking for kind of off the beaten path ones, and I saw it. It wasn't the first time I'd seen it before, and then I went to watch it at the New Beverly when they were doing mm-hmm. these like bizarre midnight screenings, and it. To- I mean, I loved it already, but watching it on the big screen was such a. Just a hoot, because like being with an audience while rivers of painted animated blood flow down a, a, an actual scene, and people are kind of scared despite the you know despite the artificiality of it, the, the such the brazen artificiality made me appreciate it in a way I hadn't before. Where I was like, this is really fascinating. I've never been in a thing where everyone knows and can tell that it's fake to this mm-hmm. degree, but are still enthralled by it. Right. That, yes. That was cool to me. Uh, brazen artificiality is exactly how I would describe. Yes, this movie. it's also the name of my new improv team. Really? I was no. gonna say that's my damn <laughs> name. Oh my god! It's a good name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say I don't like horror. Drew knows this, mm-hmm. but this I think is almost because of the brazen artificiality, and also it's borders for me on parody. It almost mm-hmm. feels like a parody of one of these kinds of movies. Yeah. That there surely they exist, right? Yeah. Friends of women go in in a house and they all get killed. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a genre. That's and a trope. Yeah, that's most of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It, does feel, it feels like a parody without a focus. Let's say in a yes. in, a, in a, you know what I mean. A parody where literally your two year, two and a half year old daughter was allowed to come up with what the what what you were doing with each parody. And then moment. you made the movie and you wanted to keep her attention throughout the entire film. <laughs> yeah. So you don't and no scene is longer than 90 seconds, nope. 2 nope. minutes. And even the the base scenes, like even when they're setting up at the beginning the uh, relationship of her her or her dad and her new stepmom. Her, her new stepmom. Yeah. Even those scenes are not shot like you a scene is shot. You know that they, they it's they just s- they stop. the gauzy curtains See? and stuff like that. It's just yeah. Nothing was left boring. Everything Nothing. was like gussied up as much as possible. Yeah. And not in a way that seems, I mean, it is overkill, but like that's what it's doing. So it works. Literally. Like, yeah. It's literally overkill. <laughs> it's literally overkill. <laughs> yeah. So I saw this. First of all, that's I found my, this. That's my improv team. It's, uh, literally, literally overkill. overkill. Literal, literal overkill. Yeah. <laughs> so I found this movie as a result of a gif. It was the gif of Kung Fu getting her, getting trapped in the haunted light. Wow. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I kept Googling till I found it because there was no context ah. in the gift. Found it and was like, I need to watch this movie. And watched it not knowing it was based on ideas for, of a child. Like her mm-hmm. fantasies and her nightmares and her fears. And instantly I was like, oh, there's a lot to analyze in this movie. Like, maybe it's about, like, female competition. And it's probably about female sexuality in a lot of ways. But when I found it, it was from a kid. I'm like, I don't I don't know if we're supposed to analyze this movie a whole lot. I think you're just supposed to, like, take... You, you yeah. can really just enjoy it at surface value. And that's probably 90% of it, right? Yeah, you could turn the sound off and just listen to some other music. <laughs> you could. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it is the most gifable movie. The, the <laughs> oh fact my you God, found yes. it, uh, it's like, yeah, this is. Per- if you want good gifs and you're a gif maker, a meme person out there, you'll find so much fodder mm-hmm. in houses. 
but also with the analysis thing, there's an interesting. Um, I have Filmstruck, which is the yeah. streaming app for n- movie nerds, and there's a uh, there's a special feature that was only recently out. I think from a couple months ago. Uh, it's like a 10 minute video essay, let's say, by some I don't know who I don't know if he's a film critic or, or uh, a, a ma- filmmaker himself, but it's a uh, it's an essay analyzing how Su as a as being about, and I I feel as you do, where I'm like you can kind of analyze it, but you also gotta you gotta keep in mind the circumstances. But as being about the nuclear bomb, which yeah. is mentioned once in the backstory of the uh, of their aunt and you know her, her losing or her husband, apparently Obayashi um, lost a lot of friends during the attacks. He, he was he lived in Hiroshima. He, exactly, he lived in Hiroshima, and I, and so the analysis of it was like his this movie is kind of his attempt to. Explain, not explain, but convey the bizarreness of it. Just convey this the outright horror that's beyond human terms. Right. You know, that's so strange and weird. That sensation of what happened at, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That this is was his way of kind of conveying it, mm-hmm. and that's why the strangeness of it all, and that's why the nuclear bomb is in the in the plot. Right. Now I don't know how much you can it's you know critically analyze it, but I tried to find an interview where he talked about it, and I'm not sure he said. I'm not sure he's ever said it's about the bomb, but the fact that that's a part of his biography makes it hard to not think about it that way. Mm. And the fact that he wrote it into the script. Mm-hmm. So I know sometimes people work through psychological issues in their art and yeah. maybe, yeah, it would be weird to have it pointed out. Just you made a movie about losing your friends in bizarre circumstances. And then you made this movie. Yeah. Then, yeah, totally. <sighs> it's uh, just, I mean, the, the, it, I, I, Someone out there who's like a more psychoanalytic film critic or something probably would watch this with, I think, complete fascination because it's so bizarre in a way that's, I mean, you you have to have something in your psyche that's leading you to paint with that kind of brushstroke. Yes. And it's so obviously purposeful Mm -hmm. with all, well, as you said, the special effects as they are. Is that you can use that word? Mm-hmm. Of course, they're special effects. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're uh, like classic special effects. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by design, mm-hmm. it's and it's showing its hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a way, the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, but while also re- not revealing its hand because we actually don't know what the fuck it's about. <laughs> right. Right. I think my go-to analysis is female sexuality because there's just so the auntie is she's eating the girls and it's giving her youth and kind of making her sexy again Mm. and she is this weird beef against gorgeous's mom because gorgeous's mom got married and she didn't Mm. and then there's the whole cat thing where like a major plot point at the end of a movie is literally a cat that's vomiting a stream of blood that floods the house with blood Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i was thinking about my notes and i was like oh oh that's that's uh that like i can't get around how like female anatomy that is and I tried to find him. I tried to find him. Do uh, g- give an interview about that, and he's never mm-hmm. said anything. So I guess that's just my weird interpretation. But I can't get around. I don't think you're off base in terms of that. Is such a, a part. There's even that scene where, towards the end, when gorgeous uh, spoiler uh, or uh, spoiler is a weird term for like, the movie. It yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but when she looks at the mirror and the whole, you know, that that feels like a very. I got. I don't know what it was, but I got a coming of age vibe from that. There was something happening there of like a transition. Yeah, and, um, like the like the replacement of women by younger women. Yeah, because yeah. I mean the movie ends with everyone dies basically, and stepmom comes to visit the house, not knowing that everyone's dead, and she 
sees her future stepdaughter. They shake hands and stepmom bursts into flames. End of movie. And I'm like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I literally, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. know. A child. It's a movie created by a child. Right. Uh, but when an adult, an adult does it, we have to psychoanalyze it, right? Mm-hmm. But if a child's like, well, they're just, there's being an, an imaginative free child. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't know the backstory, what would you, would you, did you know the backstory before? I did not it? know it before, uh, the first time. Then I, you know, immediately read everything I could about the movie and then watched You're it. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. Though no, I enjoyed it a lot the first time as well, mm-hmm. but that just added an extra layer of yeah, yeah, something. I think it was it was a film journal called Midnight Eye Visions of Japanese Cinema mm. pointed out that like it doesn't make any sense. I kept reading the sense. I'm like that doesn't make sense. Oyashi recalls his producer told him that that Toho, the studio that made this, was tired of losing money on completely comprehensible films, and they were ready to let Obayashi produce his own completely incomprehensible script. I'm like. That's that's a weird business mo- model. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine being like these comprehensible scripts are just garbage. Yeah. We need something that doesn't make any sense. Did they originally reach out to him? This is post Jaws. It was supposed to be a Jaws style monster movie, and he came. He returned with this, and they're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> but it, it didn't do. It was like a B feature. Like it was. It was. Wasn't it the second part of a double bill when it was first released? Right. Not the thing people went to see. Oh. It was slowly rediscovered like decades later, as my understanding. Mm-hmm. Poorly received in Japan by critics, but it did really well with young people, which I can mm-hmm. totally see why, because mm-hmm. it's psychedelic and bright, and there's a semi-Western rock band in it also. And I was like, yeah. Right. I wanted to bring up the music. Yeah. It is so good. <laughs> the, it <laughs> is. I want, I want the soundtrack to this movie. <laughs> the band is called Godaigo or Go Diego. I'm not really mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. The song they sing, again in the female sexuality metaphor, the name of the song is Cherries Were Made for Eating. I was like, oh... Mm. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. But it's it's a, it's a very upbeat like 60s style pop song. The band is like three Japanese guys and these two Western dudes, Steve Fox and Tommy Snyder. And they're in the movie. You see them in the movie and it's weird to all of a sudden be like, oh, they're not Japanese. What the fuck are they doing there? <laughs> yeah. Are they early in the movie? There's like a scene outside of the school. They're, the, they're, they're when they get on the train. Like you literally see them at the train station and it's like a music video. At the insane train station. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah where it's like a painted backdrop. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. That, that is the very, the most to me commercially like yeah. it could be like mm-hmm. oh a Fanta commercial yeah mm-hmm. that part yeah. yeah it's so strange yeah I don't know Ugh, I want to live in that world yeah there's also the the music that plays when the hungry piano oh, devours yeah. um, one of the girls Melody Ah! 
Can we talk about that scene for a minute? She is eaten by a piano. First, it starts eating her fingers as she's Mm -hmm. playing, right? Mm -hmm. And then it eats her whole, but she seems not bothered by it. So is she oh, she's okay with it? So you see as she's being eaten you see like this weird like transparent version of her naked body like slides scout. down yes, yeah. and then she's like watching herself get eaten and I think the subtitle is like how unseemly or something but she's giggling and she seems yeah. like she's right. It's uh, it really feels beyond Analysis <laughs> in the sense of it feels sure. so. What is that? I, but I guess that's why I find it so simultaneously unsettling and completely like a comedy. You know, mm-hmm. you're kind. It's this weird, bizarre middle ground where you don't know if you can laugh at it or be scared by it when, when mm-hmm. that stuff happens. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then they're the flashing skeleton. Is that yes. around the same time? Yeah. That could be. Yeah. Dancing skeleton. He's in dancing. There's a oh, skeleton yes. dancing in the background of lots of the of scenes. Lots of the scenes. I love that skeleton. And again, we're like, <laughs> is this supposed to be literal or figurative? Or yeah. No one seems to notice it, it except for Auntie, who's evil and eating the girls. Yeah. Oh God. And the 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 one. There's a moment that. Often in horror movies, if they're well made, there's like a single moment that sticks with me, and it's not usually the the most um, the the big set PC moment. But for me, in, in Hausu, it's when she when the is it the auntie when she opens her mouth and you see the eyeball yeah. from the from eating the watermelon. Ooh, there's something oh. about that image that just like yeah gets me yeah every time. I Ugh. think for me, it's the piano. Like I, the piano is just such a perverse. Like little kid nightmare, and mm-hmm. that was specifically one of the things she told her dad about is that she was worried that the piano would, her fingers would get caught between the keys mm. when she was playing the piano, which feels weirdly relatable. Yeah, I used to be, yeah. I used to play the piano when I was a kid, and I had a piano teacher in Miami, mm-hmm. and this piano teacher had, this is my own personal piano nightmare. You can totally cut this out. <laughs> she had so many cats, and I'm allergic to cats. Mm-hmm. I remember I had to stuff my pants with like. Kleenex and tissues every time I would go for a piano oh, lesson. No. Every time I finish a song, I would have like, oh no. This is gross. But the um, piano didn't eat you, is what you're saying. The piano didn't eat me, okay. but my sinuses did. Okay. Similar. And the cats. I don't, I don't like cats. And maybe uh, this cats, uh, cats are a theme of this movie. Mm-hmm. Are cats a theme? Cats Characters. Are, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what theme means, to be quite honest, because I feel like I hear it used in so many different yes. ways that I have no idea. Can we, what, like, when someone says something is yeah. thematic? What's the themes of this thing? Like, I feel like, I get it, but I also... People, convert conversation. <laughs> Female sexuality is a theme. Um, yes. Yes, and I think the cat theme. ties into that. Um, but yeah, the cat, we learned, I don't know if this is a Japanese culture thing, but one of the lines is that cats can open doors, but only witch cats can close them. And mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> And I guess it pays off because the cat does close the door later, but we're already aware that it's a witch. Yeah. But you're right. It's such a, it's such a specific that I don't, cats can open doors? Huh. Yeah. What? Oh, (laughs) I just realized though the director's daughter wrote this movie partially. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, Gorgeous's dad is a filmmaker. And that's a really weird thing to write your daughter into that sort of movie, even when she's not quite that old yet. Yeah. There's something horrifying about it. Oh, it's horrifying. I but also, think of that. It, all, nice in the same way of like, oh, let me make you the main character of this movie. Yeah. It's, like everything in this movie, it's a, it's got a weird contradiction inherent in it. You know, mm-hmm. everything in the movie feels like it's half 
it's ha- it's half and half. It's half funny and it's half absolutely horrifying, or yeah. it's half very serious, the nuclear bomb stuff, or yeah. and it's half I don't know, just uh, playful and crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's another horrifying, horrifying image when uh, I don't remember who was going down the well mm-hmm. to pull up. Oh my god! Yes, fantasy, fantasy. huh? Fantasy, fantasy, and her, the head of Mac. Mac Mac is in the bucket. And again, something horrific. The they're laughing. Wasn't she Mac laughing? Or? Yeah, her yeah. decapitated like, head is laughing, and then she bites fan- fantasy on the butt, which is funny. It is funny, but horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. So. That's the thing we're talking about after the ad break, and we'll be right back. Ba-da-ba-ba-bop. No. McDonald's. Sound, sound, yeah, no, soon. Not yet. Mac, we're talking about Mac. Where tomorrow is high than Uh, hi, this is Drew in the studio. Uh, Tony can't be here right now because he's in a hotter balloon competition. <laughs> and this week on You Have to Watch This Movie, our guest happens to be the host of a weed podcast. And you might not know that Table Cakes also has a weed podcast. And the host of that podcast, Haley Fox, is in the studio with me right now. Hi, Haley. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Haley, tell our listeners just a little bit about Green and Gold. Sure. So I basically started it because I'm a journalist who's been covering the cannabis industry for about two years now. Mm -hmm. And I found that it's super complicated Mm -hmm. and it changes really quickly. And no matter how fast I wrote stories or looked into stuff, I could never keep up with it. Um, And basically, I always wanted to know more and I wanted to get into the nitty gritty of what was happening. So with Green and Gold, it just basically lets me go deeper on topics that actually matter, things related to the criminal justice system in California, Mm -hmm. um, economy, politics. And I mean, so far with the podcast, we've talked about cannabis workers unionizing and weed use and pregnancy and the cannabis job market and even um, seniors who are returning to weed decades later, um, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s uh, to treat medical conditions that they otherwise would have had to use like heavy duty pharmaceuticals. So really all over the map. And it's been a great um, exercise for me. And I think people have learned a lot. That's awesome. Um, Can you tell me a few things you might want to be doing in 2019? Yeah. Oh, my God. So much. So the first year I feel like was focused on, okay, California legalized weed. People are excited. They can go buy it now. Mm -hmm. Um, And this year's all about, okay, what's the next step? I mean, how is the industry actually going to come to fruition in California? What does it mean for the people here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how is your access to it going to change? How is the medical research around it going to change? We still don't know a lot of what it actually is effective for and what it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so really a lot of those bigger picture issues that we didn't get a chance to look at last year. Cool. Well, I look forward to you telling me because you are my number <laughs> one source for marijuana related news now. Where can people find Green and Gold? Um, Green and Gold is on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. You can find me on Twitter at EP Fox or on Instagram at Penny underscore Gadget. Awesome. Happy to have you on Table Cakes. I have one more question. Who came up with a really great title for your show? <laughs> it's so funny you bring that up because I believe it was you. Yeah, it was a really good title. <laughs> okay, everyone listen to Green and Gold, please. Thank you. Bye.
just listened to an ad. We, we you, you you did. Thank thank you for reminding them, Tony. Mm-hmm. I hope they I hope they listen to it. They're supposed to listen. Was it fun? Did you guys have fun listening to that? Yeah. yeah have fun. Have fun. Have fun with it. No, I can't do it. We're we're back. We're back. We're back, and we're still talking about house slash houseu. I have to say, I'm so impressed with all the work that you put into this podcast. This is very cool. Yeah, because I'm used to doing so many podcasts with improvisers who just show up and w- like slap and slap dashy slap. Yeah. Da- but I love this. I feel like the, the 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 weed show that I co-host, we follow a similar thing because we're like, well, we got to put in the, put in the work in beforehand because we're gonna all be high out of our minds when we do it. <laughs> so we outline that smart it thoroughly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, That's the, very smart. The reason I wanted this partnership to work is that like I can bring a journalism vibe to it that's mm. not always that funny and then tony brings an entertaining energy that i lack mm. oh yeah you've never broken it down like that in front of me oh well that's why i didn't know that was my that, purpose are you a journalist and or mm-hmm. have you been i used to be a newspaper journalist and now i make wow. podcasts because cool. journalism yeah. didn't really work out for this me this is the new this is the new journalism yeah. I, yeah. I get that that makes sense mm-hmm. that's um, cool was it know, film specifically oh i'm sorry no go yeah. No, I was like a news reporter. Oh, really? Wow. Before, cool. before I moved to Los Angeles, I worked, like, I was the news wow. editor of a paper. I worked as a staff reporter for the Bombay. I grew up in, in Mumbai in India. Okay. And when I was like, for like a year, when I was almost 18, like 17 to 18, before, like, right before college, I worked for the Bombay Times as a staff reporter. Wow. And then did it again when I went back in the summer after college. Did you have a beat? I didn't have a beat because the Bombay Times was, it's the, it's basically, there's the Times of India and then each city has their own little, you know, has their own paper. Now, I guess, website or whatever people mm-hmm. do. Um, I didn't have a beat, but I did. I was trying to write a lot of like cultural articles initially where I was like, oh, this is like, let's write about Mumbai in the context of, you know, the world. Let's write about movies and books and stuff like that. And then my like editor slowly wooed me away by sending me on all these like interviews with up and coming Bollywood starlets. I was a 17-year-old boy, and I was like, yeah, I'll go hang out with... And then all my articles were trash after that. They were just, like, writing garbage, like, just (laughs) garbage puff pieces for Mm -hmm. actresses. Yeah, but people probably read them. Probably. Yeah. Probably. But, I mean, what what an immediate Scarface rise and fall of my journalism career. (laughs) Yeah, I moved to L.A. and worked for entertainment journalism. I'm like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. It's garbage. My soul is broken. It's truly just you're a paid advertiser. You're... Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it still called the Bombay Times or is it the Mumbai Times? It's still called the they, they have another. They have other ones called Mumbai, but because for whatever reason they kept that paper, right. they, they, they left its name the same. Huh. And I still say Bombay often uh, just because, you know, when I, you're used to it. Like the first 10, 12 years of my life, it was Bombay. Right. And then they changed it in the mid-90s. Um, so I still say that. <laughs> your family's still there, right? They are, yeah. And you get to visit? Yeah. And your mom visits? My mom visits. My dad visits occasionally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. But it's uh it's far. Yeah. So it's hard to it's hard to go visit for like I have five to go days. to Florida for the holidays and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> so far, five and a half hours away. Oh my god. <laughs> it is another country as well. South Florida, but Oh yeah. I'm not we're, we're not gonna claim Nobody's that. Nobody's debating that. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, right, right. <laughs> Would you show your parents' house? Oh good question. Well, funnily enough, when my dad was in town was mm-hmm. when I went to that midnight screening at New Beverly and so I took him. Oh. Me and him and it was a, f- a friend of mine, Laura, who was also a movie nerd and had never seen it. And I was like, "Well, let's go watch this." And it my dad was he was sitting by me and periodically through the film he would, he would lean over and go, "This is ghastly. <laughs> this is horrible." Like he just couldn't <laughs> believe. It. He's also 
doesn't know, let's say, the tropes of horror movies in general, where it's like, oh, we're gonna pick on, we're gonna kill these adolescents off one by one, to him is not a fun idea, you know what I mean? He's not, he's not familiar with that even as a genre trope, but right. I feel like that helps a little with Haosu, if you're like, yeah. alright, well, I get that we are parodying, or at least playing with this idea of killing basically children right which is right. horrifying but in the if you know japanese horror specifically it's not as horrifying you know the same way if you it, the same way you don't watch die hard and you go oh my god they're shooting people like you're used to an american action film and you're like well right. that's gonna happen yeah but he was horrified it, it went over i don't think he had the best Jeez. time i would never in a million years make my parent my mom my mom's american my dad's from new zealand they I'm pretty sure they would leave several minutes into this movie. Mm-hmm. They would just be confused about why be watching a subtitled film mm-hmm. and why it's made like this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they wouldn't get the references either. Yeah. It's weird loving movies and loving weird movies and being completely unable to communicate that with my parents yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. I'm, it's similar. Yeah. Also, I think there is something, and this is also partly why I was a little hesitant to, 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 mention Haosu as one of the films that I uh, was interested in talking about because I, there's something about generational about our generation or uh, people who, let's just say, consume 90s media and then mm-hmm. 2000 media. We do have a postmodern, there's a little bit of like, I think part of its resurgence does come from a slightly hipster thing of like, we can kind of ironically enjoy this movie, you know? And to me, what what I love about Haosu is that you can, but mm-hmm. it does get you. It also does... While being ironic, well, while you know being so detached from reality and being so fake and bizarre, it, does, it can still kind of sink its claws in with stuff like the eyeball in the mouth or the room full of blood. There, there's scary images. There's, I don't know. So, so I guess what I'm saying with by that is there is a bit of a generational thing too, where I'm like, I don't know if our parents' generation has that background to like. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's that hipster thing of like I found it even weirder foreign movie and right. like showing everyone that thing. Yeah. Which this movie was initially before it was widely available on DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, we're doing this podcast, so we're like an entire different subset of it. But like mm-hmm. most of us just interact with pop culture a lot differently than our parents. Absolutely. Did. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, because I mean, we you know what, what do they call it? The it. '90s. They called it the, the MTV generation or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're saturated by it. Once the internet came along, we were hypersaturated by just like availability mm-hmm. of stuff mm-hmm. so if you're in any stripe uh, a kind of film nerd i don't know you're probably you probably found obscure stuff that you never had access to before right there are other movies i've seen there's a couple there's one called black lizard i think from the 60s another japanese kind of noir, like a detective japanese movie and it's i wouldn't say similar to Haosu, but it's got a similar like uh, no holes barred playfulness that I love. It's got it's like a the detective bursts into musical numbers and sings and stuff. But there's also gore and violence. There's also, <laughs> you know, a, it's a strange, cool Tokyo story. But anyway, I, I bring that up just to be like, uh, we are a generation where we have so much access to strangeness and obscurity that partly our taste, but partly House was probably pop- popular because of that. Fucked fucked us up real good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I want so. One of the weirder aspects of this film is the character of Sweet, who has no personality. She acts as a maid. She mm-hmm. doesn't really do anything aside from clean the house. Mm-hmm. She dies by getting pummeled to death by futon mattresses and like suffocated. And then she gets turned into a doll and her clothes come off. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it wasn't until I watched it with Tony this time, I noticed that uh, Melody, the piano girl, picks up her panties and smells them. And she's like, they smell weird. I'm like, what is this? Like, why is this written this way? 
again, it's yeah. very, just very sexual. But um, yeah. speaking of sexual, I, I don't know which actress was supposed to first have a topless scene. I think it's Melody is the first one where you see topless. Oh no, it's, it's, two. it's gorgeous. She takes a bath and you see her boobs. There's mm-hmm. two in the movie, right? I don't. One one of the actresses was reluctant to, so allegedly another actress was to make her comfortable off camera removed her top to make the actress that was supposed to do it feel more comfortable and the director's like oh you deserve a scene too wow i did not know that i'm like yeah i read that in the internets which made me a little uh yeah (laughs) uh isn't it yeah i don't i don't really feel this maybe i give other countries a break because i don't know what their no um, no what their hang-ups on other countries a break i don't their what their hang-ups on showing nudity is i have no idea what like Japanese people in the 70s thought about female nudity on screen mm-hmm. but like I always assumed that if it's not an American movie that like it's they, they were probably more respectful than we would have been I don't know why I do that hmm. um it's hard to say because like you read stories about Last Dango in Paris now yeah and it's yeah. like oh boy that was yeah. fucking that was even worse than we thought in the 70s you know yeah. right I guess I there's know. no reason that like directors in Japan would have been any less of trash than sure. directors in the yeah just yeah yeah he had so, a working relationship with all these girls they were all non-professional actors that he had in commercials yeah and it was like hey like be in a movie so yeah. they were all models even mac well, i'm like good for her good for mac and he had a he had some relationship with them yeah uh, yeah yeah it's just yeah i don't know it's a we it's just such a another contradiction in the film i guess is that combo of a childlike quality and like you were saying themes of sexuality and stuff that are very adult and very hy- hyper sexualized yeah that's what being points. a teenager is yeah basically you're right like, you're bridging that gap weirdly yeah and that's probably why it was such a big hit with the youth and adults didn't get it i think you're right that's a really good analysis of being a teenager it is exactly <laughs> yeah that strange combo of hypersexual because all your hormones yeah. are raging and still feeling like a child yes Wow! Yeah, that's I've never heard that description before, and uh, it fits one of the uh, I guess reasons we wanted to do this podcast is because when Drew and I were together, we would show each other movies that the other person hadn't seen, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you: Have you shown this to Gilly? I have not because she hates horror movies generally. Okay. She, I, I think she'd she'd watch this because of the bizarreness. I think it would be fun, but there's never been a I watched it weirdly. There was a, and it, it polarized the room as it would, but uh, they did a Friendsgiving one year. This was before we were even dating, but I was, you know, I, I knew them and I I was invited. And it was nice. Uh, Gilly lives with a couple other movie nerds who love like horror Mono. stuff. Mono. Uh, Mono and Betsy who host the Horny yeah. for Horror podcast. Free plug for them. Uh, only 99 cents a year yeah. to listen to them. Uh, but they... Uh, sponsored. Yeah, exactly. You got a lot of sponsors. Yeah. But I watched I watched it there. I was like, let's. you guys want to watch a movie? Because we were talking about watching a movie and we, we threw it on. And it definitely polarized the room for sure. Like some people, uh, my friend Lilan... Um, was glued to the screen and oh. loved it. Mm-hmm. And other people like were like, well, "Can we turn this off? Like, what is this?" You know, that's a level of anxiety that is very specific to being a movie nerd. When you have something that's specific and weird, and like uh, someone was talking about this somewhere just recently, and I identified it so much with it. Oh, 
they were talking about do you guys remember that tv show home movies the cartoon was on adult swim yes no. so they really liked it when it was on upn and they like recorded it and played it for a bunch of friends at a party and like no one liked it and they're like no guys watch this it's funny and you can see when the other people are just not into yeah. it and you're just like no it gets it gets better yep. and oh that's a very sp- i 100 oh, yeah. agree and know that feeling and it's the yeah. worst when no. you're enthusiastically proclaiming something's great Oh, uh, I did that. It, this wasn't the same because a lot of people enjoyed it. But uh, one year for my birthday, I rented out the silent movie theater, rest in peace. But also, fuck that place because they had a bunch of terrible people working there. Well, Cinefamily, the silent movie theater as a structure is still rentable, I think. Oh, it might be. Okay, so Cinefamily then. But right. w- w- the place there, I, yeah, yeah. W- they had a bunch of uh, harassers and, and all, you know, mm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It comes were... up almost every episode. Yeah. Does it really? It really because does. a lot of the movies we talk about are things people saw for the first time at uh, Cinefamily. Yeah. And look, I loved the the programming and stuff. I just, the people were awful. And I, I saw a little bit of that when I when I did this party. I did a party for my birthday and I rented it out and, and showed Vertigo and then there was a little like drinks and stuff on the on the back patio and i was like this will be fun because a lot of my friends haven't seen it i mm-hmm. love vertigo and it was a thing where a lot of people loved it and then other people were so put off and uh, and there were at least two people who just like looked at their phones the whole time and it was that specific anxiety of like well i love that 20 people here have seemed like they love this and they're glued and we were talking that afterwards we're enthusiastically kind of talking about it mm-hmm. but it was such an anxious feeling of when you love something so much mm-hmm. showing it uh even though it's not yours, it's not even your art. That's a whole other thing. When you've made something, oh my god, that's oh. that's one of the hardest things. But that's what yeah, that's being ex- an artist that's is. excruciating. It's excruciating. You just have to leave. But you have to just. That's what being an artist is, I guess. That's right. like you got to just put yourself out there. But this is a weird, like by proxy feeling of like a thing you love spe- that's specific feels like a part of you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, and that's a that's I know exactly what that anxiety is. I I, I am picky about people. I would show like the movie's closest to me because I, 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 I would have to be pretty clear if I thought they would like it or not before mm-hmm. I made them watch it. What are some of those if you... Mulholland Drive. Oh, yeah. That's, that's my favorite movie. and um, What a specific movie in, in and, terms of like, appeal. Polarizing. Yeah. Like people, some people absolutely detest that movie even if they like Twin Peaks or something. Yeah. Um, I want to say this. Uh, as Drew did, I learned Transcendental Meditation at the David Lynch Foundation. Oh, yeah. And once in a while they have a movie night and the very first movie night it's like let's bring Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, how it's so fitting. Yeah, most of the audience, most of the room had never seen it. They didn't actually know anything about David Lynch other than maybe Twin Peaks. <laughs> very polarizing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very specific uh, yeah. kind of movie, yeah. and yeah. It was very uncomfortable. I get that. But the protection we had was, well, you're under David Lynch Foundation's roof. Yeah. So... What, are you going to hate on the person who ex- right. put this roof on your head? Yeah. <laughs> I think giving the right context is important. And I think that's one of the reasons I like the idea of this podcast. Because if you haven't ever seen House, mm-hmm. and you, this gives you a chance to go into it not blind. Because mm-hmm. I think enthusiasm can be infectious. Mm-hmm. And hearing someone who's really moved by something, it's like, oh my God, this is really good for all these reasons, can carry you through something that might be more difficult to just watch on your own or like most you probably wouldn't even elect to watch a subtitled movie on your own maybe, at- unless you were specifically told it's bonkers and a lot of stuff happens and a man turns into a bile of bananas You're so yeah. on the money about that. Yeah, I think that's that's also why I and I'm not the generation of it, but I I love I have a lot of 
Pauline Kael's like collector reviews. Wow. Even though I disagree with so much of her taste in movies, often she has a way of conveying what the experience of the movie is like, at least from her eyes. And mm-hmm. that makes sometimes when there's like a movie that I don't know if I want to watch, I'll read a review and then I'll watch the movie. And even if I disagreed with her, we'll get something else out of it because it's similar to listening to this podcast i guess you're you're hearing someone's enthusiastic either takedown or or um like recommendation on a movie mm-hmm. it, yeah it does that a lot she's she's really great at that if if you, you think of a movie that you went sought out after reading her um yeah i, I read i mean i watched a lot she's a big brian de palma buff and so am i but some of those I'd seen already. But even like reading her review of Blowout and then watching it made me appreciate it in a different way. I think I watched a lot of like the the Antonioni movies, you know, the okay. Okay. Uh, like those Italian movies because I some some of them I I'd, I'd seen. Um, what is the one with Alan Delon? Uh, oh, Leclise, I think. Mm, I know that one. Anyway, it, it's great. But but after that, I was like, oh, I should watch more of his. And I and then I started reading her reviews of them, and they gave me a different perspective, even when I didn't agree with some of them did you guys read the village voice review i was looking at reviews for this movie and the village voice gave this house a mixed review saying mm. contemporary japanese pop culture makes the hophead nonsense of house look quaint by comparison though it plays like a retarded hybrid of rocky horror and whispering corridors it is moment to moment its own kind of movie hijinks i'm like <laughs> that's a that's a recent review too like, wait that's not from the 70s that's i don't believe the- so i believe that's a contemporary review <laughs> no got way re-released. No. no way that is incredible uh, because in the 70s, it was like, oh, yeah, they did throw around yeah, they <laughs> that did. differently. You know, the Village Voice used to be an indie publication. Now they're opened by, like, a mega corporation. Oh. And I, I would be interesting if, they act, if this is a recent review. Right. One second. The fact that it's still called The Village Voice makes it sound so grassroots. Yeah. And, you know, like, so. Yeah. I think it's the New Herald in Miami. Uh-huh. I, um, when I've been there, sometimes I would have favorite reviewers in New York. Mm-hmm. And then one day I'm like, wait a minute, this is the same writer in Miami, just a different, you know, picture, different from like, oh, they are not, they're not New York centric uh-huh. anymore. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're like, they're, they're just, national. Yeah. And they just sprinkle in, they're syndicated, but it looks, they're trying to make it look like it's of its city. A local. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Is that a word for that? 2010. It was that oh my review God. was from 2010. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Who's the writer? Did it say? Journalist. Mm. Journalist background over here. Michael Atkinson? Mm. I don't know. I'm familiar with him. Hmm. I would be curious to look up all his rules to see if he uses that that word over and over again. (laughs) I mean, okay. Yeah. Um, What what else can we say about this? You know, Mm. oh, go ahead. Mm. I was going to say, Drew usually asks uh, if if there's one scene that you could take away from this movie, but I feel like. It's impossible with this movie, yeah. right? Or is there for I, you? I would say when Kung Fu gets eaten by the haunted lamp, uh-huh. and then she goes to another surreal space where there's like paintings of big-eyed girls as a backdrop and like detached body parts floating around. like this is the weirdest part of this movie it's beautiful it's weird lasts like 30 seconds and then her legs shoot out of the lamp and punch the cat and the cat starts vomiting blood (laughs) um that would be my favorite sequence (laughs) sure sure sure. when you summarize it it sounds ridiculous yeah and then oh yeah it is yeah that's really good um it's hard to i think the whole set piece of the 
the falling, the, the blood, the rivers and rivers of blood. For me, that's such a, that's because that's also where the, you see the skeleton, the, the flashing animated skeleton inside, mm-hmm. uh, is it Gorgeous's body or Melody's maybe, but whatever, you, there, there's a whole, a bunch of things happen, but it ends with these corridors of blood, the whole house just being sort of suffused with like fountains of blood. Mm-hmm. Something, I think that scene, because that scene had a big impact for me when I watched it specifically on the big screen, because it felt like the scene where no matter how ironically into the movie you were, and throughout it, I remember especially watching at the New Beverly, you know, it's like a hip kind of L.A. crowd. There's like laughs happening. People are laughing and giggling at various parts. Understandably, it, it is a funny and strange movie. But that was the point when I heard just silence. People were fully wow. taken in by the horror of this wow. movie. And that had a big impact on me because I was like, oh, you can do all the things in a movie that have an emotional resonance even when you're showing your hand so much even when it's so patently artificial there's still an effect that you can get mm-hmm. and that so i think that's my my takeaway scene wow that's very well put mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're just like the whole thing no uh any scene with the skeleton <laughs> tony's favorite character <laughs> dancing skeleton, skeleton. skeleton. Very <laughs> those moves are just i don't care yeah. who's watching me yeah that's it dancing yeah. like no one is watching because yeah. they're dead yeah, yeah. They're, all, they're all dead they're yeah, yeah. So. That's a good life lesson. You gotta dance like you you're already dead. Sure. Yeah. 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 Drew, where do people know you from? Oh, uh, you can come see me at the UCB theater. I perform there a few nights a week usually. South Asian as fuck is that still happening? South Asian as fuck is happening, and it's so good. in. I, I don't know when this is out, but the, it's in November, so this may not be. What's Salvation as fuck? South Asian. As South Asian. Okay. I, there's, I, a, there's a franchise show at UCB that I'm a part of called Asian as fuck every month. I'm familiar. This is a slight. Yes. Just to get more kind of brown people on stage for for a mm-hmm. night. But this it's is, gonna be. Is it a monthly show? South Asian as fuck is not. We, okay. we just, we've done it once before and then several months later. We're just lazy, I think. You know, South Asians, <laughs> classic. <laughs> um, I, can't, I, can't com- I can't comment yeah, on that. That opinion is endorsed yep. by this podcast. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Anti-Browns. <Right. laughs> what is the name of your read podcast? Uh, it's called I'm Too Effing High. You can listen to I'm Too E-F-F-I-N-G High. Um, if you want to listen to very funny people get stoned and... New comedy. We have some great guests on. Regular actors, writers, you know, um, musicians are on. Just lots of cool people. Um, yeah. Who got the most fucked up? It's a good question. We've had a few very. F- um, David Crumholtz did the live show once, okay. mm-hmm. and he was so uh-huh. out of his gourd. But because he's a he's a he smokes a lot, apparently, tried to play it off a lot like he wasn't. But after the wow. show. You could tell he was just <laughs> bleary-eyed, but he was very. I mean, he was funny. He was great. Um, Kirby Howell Baptiste, uh-huh. you know her, yeah, yeah. right from UCB. She's she's she got very stoned. Mm-hmm. A few. She's the one on the Good Place now, yeah. Yes, she is. Yes, okay. she is. Yeah, Australian character, I think. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she's British? from London. She's from London. Right? Yeah. 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 Yes. Um. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good time. You can also, I don't know when this is out or if I'm allowed to say anything depending when this is out. Uh, you can watch me on the show Good Trouble on Freeform, premiering January 2019. Yes. And you can no longer see you on the live stream Cheez-It Maturation Lab. <laughs> Did we get all three of you on this show now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Three got... Cheez-It Maturation experts yep. have been yeah. here. That's... 
Yeah. I know other podcasts can say that. <laughs> no, Truly. That's true. Yeah. That's got a unique them. pedigree. Yeah. yeah. Have you guessed it on Connie's film podcast? I have not. Okay. Then, yeah. At, right now, no one else can say that. <laughs> Take that, indie darlings. <laughs> Ooh. Drew, where can people find you on Twitter and social media? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Just at my full name, Drew Vudasing, D-H-R-U-V-U-D-A-Y-S-I-N-G-H. That's pretty much it. I don't really tweet. It's probably for the probably for the best. I got. It's, it's a terrible. It's a terrible. No, it's terrible. I just, mainly, I'm just like I don't want to add another thing to my phone. Don't. It took me a long time to get Instagram because I was like I don't need another thing. You know, it's just I'm yeah. trying to. But I should just grow up and be in the 21st century. Yeah, uh, you're good. There's a you can't. Someone can enjoy Instagram without like being feel pummeled. But there's mm. no way to do that with Twitter. Even if it as you know, right? It's unless you only populate it with like dog accounts. Yes. But you it's know why what? I can't go on Facebook as much anymore. I, I, I have it, but I don't go on it as much because I just don't want to hear too many, too many opinions that I... It just Every time I go, I go on Facebook, it feels a little like getting in a hot tub with 50 strangers who are shitting and sweating and peeing everywhere. And then you get out and you're like, why do I feel so dirty? Yeah. It's because I've been bathing in their emotional like waste. That's the best description of Facebook I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tony, where on can Facebook, pe- people can find me at uh, Tony Rodriguez five six seven nine two five four. No, I, that's not real. That's not real. Uh, I'm on Twitter at the Tony Rodrig, and I'm on Instagram at Tony Rodrig. Drew, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Drew G Mackey M A C K I E. Don't 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 bother me on Facebook. I don't <laughs> use Facebook anymore. However, you have to watch this movie is on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at have to watch pod. And if you want to listen to any previous episode of you have to watch this movie, please go to you have to watch this movie.com. Sorry, not pod. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. We are a Table Cakes production. Uh, Table Cakes is an LA-based podcast network that features a whole host of cool shows. And if you feel like kicking us a little bit of money, go to patreon.com slash tablecakes. You will support this show, Smart Mouth, Gayest Episode Ever, Singing Mountain, and a lot of other shows that will probably be out and downloadable by the time this actually goes live. But we'll just stop at that. Please mm-hmm. give us money. We like money. Meow. Thank Pod- you, Drew. Thank you for having me. Thank uh, you. Fun. Podcast over. 